0: All right, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 11. And we'll read verse 1 to verse 15. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? But what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft raiment are in king's houses. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Truly I say unto you, among those who are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Nevertheless, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elijah who was for to come. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray again. Lord God, as we open now your word and as we've read from it and as we will hear the preaching of your word, Lord, we pray that... Your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us, that you'd give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. God, that we would be able to understand the mystery of Christ this morning, that we would be able to look through appearances and see beyond how we just naturally think, and that we would see the incredible gospel that. Reveals your heart, your thoughts, which are higher than our thoughts, higher than our ways. Lord, may we not come here thinking we know all there is to know. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, will we have ears to hear? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever experienced the feeling of missing out? you ever felt that feeling before you know when you're a kid and um, you know the neighborhood kids they just kind of spontaneously decide we're going to put together a big street game big party game you're like oh this is going to be so exciting I can't wait to do this and afterwards we're going to go for ice cream this is going to be the best and then all of a sudden your mom calls you and says there's a dentist appointment that I made for you today and you're not going to be able to go play with the kids no mom (laughs) right and they put you in the car and you're crying and they drive you away and you're helpless Uh, Not fair. (laughs) You know that feeling when you miss, you feel like you've missed out. Other people get to have all the fun and I get to miss out on this time. Now sometimes you can't help it, right? Sometimes it's just not in your control. Like when you're a kid and you didn't make the plan, it wasn't your fault you missed out. You couldn't help it. You could not help it. But sometimes we miss out and it is our fault, right? Right? And we miss out because we make a misjudgment. For example, um, I heard the story of someone who um, had the opportunity of investing some money in a new company as they were just starting out. But at the time, it didn't seem like it would be very profitable. And so uh, the, the, the thing that the company was making wasn't, it was new and he didn't think anyone would get into it. And so he decided to not invest in the company, even though he had an opportunity to invest a lot in this company. It turned out the company was Apple. So you know, he kicks himself and says, Oh, no foresight, misjudgment. It didn't seem profitable. It didn't seem worth anything. It's my fault I missed out. How many of you ever have seen the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? You ever seen that movie? And you remember the whole plot of the film is they're looking for the Holy Grail the so-called Holy Grail, the cup that Jesus uh, drank from and passed around um, the night before he was crucified. And apparently, if you find the Holy Grail and drink from it, then you'll have eternal life, just like the Bible says, right? (laughs) And uh, so they end up finding the Holy Grail, and the the villain in the film, his name's Walter Donovan, and um, the villain in the film... Uses Indiana Jones to get the to get the uh, to get him to the place where the grail is. But when he gets there, there's a whole bunch of cups, right? When he gets to this cave, this cavern, where the holy grail is, there's a there's hundreds of different chalices and cups. And there's this old man who has eternal life there, and he's sitting there, and he says, uh, "You must choose the cup. You must you must pick which cup you think is the one that Jesus drank from." And, of course, all the cups are beautiful. And uh, so Walter Donovan is looking for the right cup, the one that Jesus would have drunk from, and he finds the most impressive cup that he could find, right? This cup that's got gold and rubies and jewels all over it. And he picks it, and he scoops up the water, and he drinks it because he thinks he chose. He says, this is the cup that is fit for the king of kings, Right? Of course, what happens is his head explodes. So uh, he picked, and then the man says, you have chosen poorly. <laughs> right? The cup that he should have chose was this wooden cup that was the most disgraceful looking cup there was among all the rest. And uh, Indiana Jones happens to pick that one and heals his wounded father. So sometimes we miss out on things that aren't very important, like spontaneous neighborhood game. It's not going to ruin your life too much if you miss it. Maybe for some people it would. But sometimes we miss out on things like eternal life because of a misjudgment. Because we think, when we look at it, nah, that doesn't seem worth it. That doesn't seem valuable. That doesn't seem like it deserves my attention or my time. And this thing seems like it deserves my attention and time. And this thing seems valuable. And then we miss out On something extremely important and valuable, and it's very serious, the consequences. Now, as the ministry of Jesus is progressing, we are beginning to see opposition that is coming his way. Now, at first, when Jesus began to preach and to heal, he was quite a sensation, and the crowds flocked to him, and he was doing miracles, and he continued to do miracles during his whole ministry. But at the beginning, there was very little opposition. Wow, miracles are taking place. Who is this? This is exciting. Everyone's going. The scribes and the Pharisees are going out to listen to him. But as we have seen, as time goes on, opposition starts to happen. And it's not because of his miracles, right? It's not that the people who are opposing him have a problem with him doing miracles, but they have a problem with his doctrine, right? And so you'd see in chapter 9... Jesus says to this lame man that's lowered through the roof, Son, your sins are forgiven. You're forgiven. And the Pharisees start freaking out about this and saying, Who can forgive sins but God alone? So you start seeing the beginnings of opposition. And then you also see Jesus in chapter 9 eating with the people that you're not supposed to eat with. Being friends with those whom you should shun because God shuns them right and they say why does your master eat with sinners these people are not worthy these people are not acceptable why is he eating with them he should be distancing himself from them of course jesus he rebukes them for thinking that basically he says you don't know god you don't know what god is like the sermon on the mount brings opposition Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not just teach. You know, the whole, the point of it all is just to try your best. And everyone is doing a really good job. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus exposes every man and every woman as falling short of the standard that God requires. He says, man, who," who are the people that you think are the most righteous? And everyone says, the Pharisees. And everyone else is unrighteous. Those guys are the righteous ones and we need to be like them. Jesus says, well, they're not righteous either. In fact, if you want to be righteous, you've got to be perfect. Just like God is perfect. Anybody? Jesus exposes all men as sinners. And he gets opposition from the Pharisees because of this. Because that's not what the Pharisees have been teaching. And they don't like that. In chapter 10, Jesus... Declares openly that his apostles and he will be rejected. Jesus implies that he will be going to the cross when he says, If you want to follow me, who wants to follow me? If you want to follow me, then you're going to need to take up your cross because that's where I'm going. Jesus declares openly that he will be rejected. And as we go on in the Gospels, this is what we see more and more. Whether you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you see his disciples begin to leave Jesus over his doctrine. You see the opposition begins to mount, and eventually the Pharisees start to plot to kill Jesus and call him demonic and get the people on their side. And eventually, you even see his own disciples abandon him. On the night that he is betrayed and the Romans take him, His disciples scatter. Jesus is left alone. What we see here in chapter 11 is Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, is also opposed and rejected. Where do we find him here in chapter 11? In prison. Now Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived in the first century, also tells us that John the Baptist was imprisoned. He tells us where he was imprisoned. He was imprisoned in the castle called Macaris, means sword. It's right by the Dead Sea, and it's been excavated, and you can go visit it today. Not that it stands anymore, but its foundations are there. They know it was a castle. Machaerus. that's where John the Baptist was imprisoned, opposed, rejected. And the appearance of John the Baptist on the scene didn't change the status quo. See Israel was ruled by the Romans, ruled by a corrupt king, and ruled by the pharisee class who didn't know God and people respected the pharisees. John the Baptist shows up, John the Baptist preaches, John the Baptist is imprisoned, things don't change. Not that John expected things to change with him, but John expected things to change with Jesus. You remember when John preached? He says, one's coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. But when he comes, you know what he's going to do? He's going to bring the baptism of the the Spirit. And he's going to bring the wheat into the barn. And he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable unquenchable fire. Right? That's what John said. One's coming after me. And that's what he's going to do. John expected... Jesus to change the status quo. If you remember in Luke chapter 1 John's father Zechariah prophesies over John and he says you my son are the prophet of the highest and you are going to bring forth you're going to be the messenger of the Messiah and the Messiah is going to come and bring salvation to Israel so John remembers these prophecies that were spoken over him. So when Jesus shows up And John says, here's the one. John points to him. This is it. This is he. And as Jesus begins to be rejected, and John hears of his works, and John hears of his message, and even John hears of him speaking of rejection, John has a question. Now look with me to verse 3. John obviously can't go to Jesus and ask this question, but he sends his disciples. In verse 3, And the disciples of John came unto him, And said, are you the one, are you he who should come, or do we look for another? Now the question is, is John here doubting the messiahship of Jesus? Is John saying, did I get this thing wrong? Uh, I mean, I, I I did point to you as the Christ, but maybe you're not the Christ, Is that how we're supposed to understand this question? Is he doubting that Jesus is the Christ? The answer, brothers and sisters, is no. John is not doubting that Jesus is the Christ. He knew he was his forerunner. He had declared that Jesus was the Christ. He declared he was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And you'll remember that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, indicating to John this was the Christ, right? Also, in verse 2, what does it say that John had heard in prison? Notice it doesn't say the works of Jesus. What does it say? The works of Christ. So John heard the works of Christ. John recognized that Jesus was doing the works of Christ. The things that the Messiah will do. That when the Messiah comes, the prophets say in the Old Testament that miracles will happen, the dead will be raised, the lame will walk, the lepers will be cleansed, the poor will have the gospel preached to them. So John heard this, but in the light of hearing that this is the Messiah, he's also got a big question. What exactly is the plan, Jesus? I want to understand that are you at this time going to change the status quo, And it's interesting that the Old Testament kind of leaves us a little bit confused about the time. You see, the Old Testament speaks that when the Messiah comes, it speaks that he'll suffer and die, but it also speaks that when the Messiah comes, the status quo will be changed. And sometimes it says those two things in one paragraph, right? In one breath, in one sentence. And it doesn't indicate that there will be any separation of time. So, well, John knows, okay, Jesus, you're being rejected, and I understand this, but I've got a question about the time. You'll remember in the book of Peter, chapter 1, and actually, let's turn there. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 10. The prophets prophesied concerning two things. Now John, he's a prophet, standing in the line of these Old Testament prophets. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter tells us this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So it says here, the prophets prophesied of the grace, but they themselves were also trying to understand and also trying to figure out some of the details about this. See, it says in verse 11, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand, number one, the sufferings of Christ, and number two, the glories that should follow. The glory that should follow would include his resurrection, but it would also include the our resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous. It would include the glory of God coming through the sufferings of Messiah, and filling the world. So they knew that Christ would suffer. They knew that the glory would follow. But they didn't exactly know when. And it was actually a fairly common idea in Jesus' day for many Jewish people and Jewish scholars to think that there was two messiahs. Maybe one messiah comes and suffers, and then another messiah comes at the same time or later, we don't know, And brings the glory. And brothers and sisters, I believe this is John's question. When he says, Are you the one who's to come? Or do we look for another? He's not doubting that he's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's not saying, I'm questioning whether you're the Christ or not. He's saying, Are you the one who's going to bring the glory? Or do we look for a second? Do we look for another who's going to come? I know you're the one. You're clearly doing the messianic signs. But is there another? Now Jesus answers him, and you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say anything new. He says, go tell John again what you're seeing and hearing. So basically they'll go back to John and they'll say, well, John, he told us to tell you again that the uh, lepers are being cleansed and the poor are having the gospel preached to them and the dead are being raised. And John says, okay. So he doesn't really answer uh, John's question about the time. But I think by saying this, Jesus is saying there is not going to be two. There's only going to be one. I am the Christ. And you can read in the prophets that when this one comes, when the Christ comes and these things happen, then that same Christ, the glory will come. Just trust in me, John. Just watch and see. And blessed, he says in verse 6, Blessed is he whoever shall not stumble or trip up because of me. The word offend is the word is, word is the word scandalon in the Greek. We get the word scandal. He says, "I'm really a scandal. I'm scandalous. Scandalous meaning I trip people up. I'm a stumbling block." Blessed is he who isn't tripped up in light of me being rejected, in light of what will follow, which is not much glory. Of course, the resurrection of Christ, we believe that is glorious. But the status quo didn't change. But I think it's more than just Jesus being rejected. Why was he rejected is a better question. It was because of his doctrine that he was rejected. It was because Jesus came and challenged the understanding of the status quo. He challenged the Pharisees. He taught righteousness. And at the same time that he taught righteousness, and at the same time that he said the law demands perfection, and at the same time he said the Pharisees aren't even righteous, and if you have any sin... Then you would rather cut your eye out and cut off your leg if you want to get to heaven because you've got to have no sin if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be perfect to get into the kingdom of God. At the same time that Jesus taught that, he also taught that anyone who believes in him will enter the kingdom of God. And he eats with the tax collectors and he eats with the Pharisees. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. You believe in me, you're in. It's a scandal. What do you mean these kind of people are in? I trip up on that. What are you talking about? What do you mean I'm not righteous? I'm the best person in town. <laughs> There's people that think like that. Probably the most righteous person in town by my works. What do you mean I'm not? What do you mean I'm not better than a harlot? What do you mean just if a, if a are you saying that if a murderer was to believe in Jesus, that they would get to heaven even if on their deathbed they just believed? That's a scandal. It can't be. That's what Jesus taught. While maintaining the law demanded perfection, he also gave hope to the sinners by believing in him. And of course the key to that is his amazing death, his atoning death, that he would give his life a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter one twenty three uses the same word that Jesus used when he said the preaching of the cross it's to the Jews a scandal. Not just that Jesus was rejected. That is enough for people, for Jewish people at least to say he can't be the Messiah because the Messiah is supposed to change the status quo. But more than that, people reject Christ because that message about the cross, not just that he was crucified and rejected, but that you say and he said that he died on the cross for our sins? so that we could just believe and be saved because he did all that was necessary. He made the reconciliation happen at the cross. That is a scandal I can't believe. Blessed implies only a few will not stumble. The word blessed means you are one of the lucky few. You are fortunate. If you don't stumble on account of me, and the message about me. Brothers and sisters, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with this scandal of who he is? That the Christ came into the world and was rejected because of his doctrine, but it was foreordained by God that the Christ came into the world to die for your sins. And that because he died for your sins, if you're trusting in him, you're saved. Do you believe that message? Or do you avoid that message and try to reconstruct who Jesus is? Many people don't want to discard Jesus. They like him too much. But they don't like the message of the cross. And so they're like, well, I want to keep Jesus, but I'm going to get rid of the scandal. I'm going to make the king not scandalous. And then everyone will accept him. Kind of what happens in our world. People say, oh, Jesus is a great guy, great teacher, taught good deeds, good example. They don't really understand and know him because he's scandalous. If we de-scandalize Jesus, then we don't know him and we do not know Christianity. We aren't Christians. Unless our message causes people to stumble. Not because we want it to, but that's just what's going to happen. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And the same one who causes men to stumble, the scriptures also say, the very, the very rock of stumbling is also the rock of salvation. If you don't stumble at the message of Christ and at who Jesus is and what he did, you find him to be everything that you need for your reconciliation and relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? So the very thing that causes persecution and causes men to stumble is the very thing that Christians sing about, as we sang this morning, and rejoice in and declare to be our hope and our peace, right? Isn't that an amazing thing? There's just no gray area there. You either see it or you don't. Verse 7. And as the disciples of John depart, Jesus turns to the multitudes who probably saw this exchange just happen. And in light of them seeing this, with John asking this question, with John showing himself to be vulnerable and showing himself to be confused and not, not sure about The situation situation with Jesus, Jesus defends and honors John before the multitude. Now, the fact that he looks at the multitudes and he asks them, assuming they all went out to John, when you went to the wilderness, what did you go out to see? That shows us how popular John was. He got a whole multitude before Jesus and he talks to them. He says, Now, when you guys went out to visit John, so they did. John was popular, John got people's attention. When you went out to see, what did you go out to see when you went out in the wilderness? A reed shaken in the wind? Some some interpreters think they mean, did you just go out to see scenery? That's not what Jesus means. Of course they didn't go out to see scenery. They went out to see John. But when you went out to see John, did you go out to see a reed shaken in the wind? He's now touching upon the character of John. Was John this wishy-washy guy? Is that why you went out to see him? Was he a man without steadfastness and courage, and when bad things came his way, he buckled under? No, of course you didn't go out to see a man like that. You went out to see John because he wasn't a reed shaken in the wind. You went out to see John because he stood his ground, because he was a man of courage, because he preached with conviction, and because he wasn't afraid of opposition. That's why you went out to see John. Of course. Did you go out to see someone who was dressed in fine clothes? No. Of course you didn't go out into the wilderness to see a man dressed in fine clothes. If you wanted to see a man dressed in fine clothes, you would have went to the king's palace because that's where they get dressed up in fine clothes. What was John wearing? He was wearing a leather girdle, eating locusts and honey. Not very impressive. You went out to see someone that was disinterested in worldly things. You went out to see someone who was taken up with the things of the kingdom of God, who was preaching the gospel, who was preaching the word of God. You went out to go see someone was separate from this world. Of course, that's why you went out to see him. So why would you go out to see him? You went to go see a prophet. Because these are the characteristics of a prophet. You went out to see a prophet. That's the correct answer. However, Jesus says to them, if you see that John is a prophet, and if you see that John was not a reed shaken in the wind, and if you see that John was a separate prophet, he was a man separate from the world. If you see all that, you don't see enough. You guys all believe he's a prophet, right? That's great. He's more than that. And if you say hey, he's a man of conviction, yeah, he's a man separate. He's a prophet. You don't see There is something you need to see about John the Baptist. This is more than a prophet. This is he, verse 10. What does it mean to be more than a prophet? Jesus now tells us. This is he, of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way for you. See, John wasn't just a prophet, one of many prophets. How many prophets are prophesied of in the Old Testament? Not many. Not many. See, God God raised up many prophets. They're all men of conviction. But he's more than that. He is himself prophesied of. He is the one that Malachi spoke of, Malachi 3, 1, 4, 5, and 6, and Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's not just a prophet. He's the prophet of the highest. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. Malachi is the forerunner of God himself. The one sent by God to go before Christ to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's unique. He's special. He's not just one of many prophets. He's a a landmark. He's an indicator. And because he's the prophet of the highest, then you can tell that there's Really, no man who's ever been born that's greater than he. I mean, who else has the privilege of being this guy? Right? He must be something pretty special. Now, the fact that this man was kind of confused about the Messiah should cause us to take notice and not be so... Perhaps arrogant as Christians, when we, when we sometimes wonder, how did the Jews miss it? How come they don't understand what we see? We see that Jesus came, died, was buried, rose from the dead, ascended into glory, will come again. Second time, easy. <laughs> of course. Sometimes, if you were to ask a, if you were to, you know, Christians believe that so strongly. If you were to ask a Christian, can you show me this in the Old Testament? Many of them would have a difficult time showing it to you, right? Not that it can't be shown. By identifying John as the forerunner of Jesus, Jesus is identifying himself before the people. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. He's the forerunner of God. And he pointed to me. In the Old Testament, God raised up men for his own purposes. R.T. France says, when Jesus calls John greater. There is none greater that has risen up than John the Baptist. Artie France says, great that is in his place in God's purpose, not necessarily in his personal worth. That No man has had the privilege of being in the place that John the Baptist was. The greatest task a man can have brothers and sisters, is to proclaim Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what made John so great. Not because he wasn't a sinner, but because he had the privilege of pointing men to Christ. Whereas the other prophets, they foretold of Christ, John stood there in the water and said, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had the honor of proclaiming Christ when Christ came, so his greatness was in his task, and it's interesting that, in light of his greatness being his his purpose in the king uh, in the plan of God, Jesus goes on to say, "Nevertheless, as great as John the Baptist is, he's." He's Elijah. He's the one that is the messenger that goes before the Messiah. As great as that is. There's never risen a greater. He that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Isn't that amazing? How many of you are in the kingdom of God? How do you get in the kingdom of God? Through faith in Christ, right? If you are in the kingdom of God then you're actually in a greater position than even John the Baptist, as great as that was. Now, does this mean that John isn't in the kingdom? What do you think? I think it would be absurd to say that John isn't in the kingdom. If you remember in chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus said that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be in the kingdom, right? He says that many will come from the east and the west, and they'll take their seat with... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. So clearly the kingdom of heaven is not merely for those who believe after Jesus. But also those who were before believing are in the kingdom of God too. So though John is a citizen of the kingdom, what this means is that he didn't get to be a part of what God was about to do on the earth through Jesus Christ. You could call it the pre-invasion of the kingdom of God on earth that began with Christ before his coming in glory. R.T. France says, It was not John's privilege to be involved in the ministry of Jesus with its new perspective and dynamic. To speak of him as outside of the kingdom of heaven in this sense is not, of course, to pronounce on his personal salvation any more than any Old Testament saint, but on his place in the development of God's plan. You'll see in verse 13, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. John was a part of this prophesying of Christ and the kingdom. John himself said, one's coming after me, and this is him. But John was killed before Jesus died and rose. John didn't get to take part in what God was going to do with the kingdom of God on the earth, as he has done through the apostles and the church. If you, brothers and sisters, are a part of what God is doing after Jesus died and rose again, you're a part of this church that he is, what does he say? I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell Will not prevail against it. If you get to be a part of this, and every one of us today who believes in Christ is a part of the church, believing the apostolic message, you see, the apostles preached with a clarity and a perspective and a dynamic that had never before been seen because they themselves understood the scriptures. Unlike John, they themselves knew Christ, saw him die, saw him rise, and understood what that meant for this whole world. We're going to be talking a lot more about what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God now that Jesus has died and risen again. But brothers and sisters, count it a great privilege. Jesus said, there are many prophets of old, they long to see the things that you see. Don't take it for granted that you today understand what Jesus did for you, and that he came, that he died for your sins, rose from the dead, is sitting with the Father, and great power comes to us who believe through him, and he's coming again in glory. Don't take it for granted that you understand the gospel. Many men long to see these things and understand it. If you understand it as great as John is, you're even in a greater position, Jesus is saying, than he. And that's a wonderful example of Christ confessing us. Remember when he said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. In front of a crowd, he honors John. He says, John, yes, a prophet and more than a prophet, not a reed shaken in the wind. You can see his love for John and his respect for John. He's not ashamed of John being his forerunner. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, when you believe in him, are born again, and become a child of God. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Jesus doesn't say, well, John was a great guy, but Terry, you disappoint me. He says, Terry, if you're in the kingdom, you're in a better position than John, and he's not ashamed to call you his brother. He's not ashamed for you to be his sister. He's not ashamed of saying, this one's mine. This one is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, it's a beautiful thing to know that he confesses us as his own. So brothers and sisters, John the Baptist, the forerunner, came. Christ, the King, and his kingdom has come. And Jesus says, since the kingdom has come... Men are pressing into it. Remember he says that it suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What this means is, if you compare it with the parallel passage in Luke, is that people are violently pressing in to the kingdom of God. When he says the violent take it by force, the literal Greek word is they snatch it up. They seize it. I always imagine a conveyor belt going by with something on it, and if you're not quick, it's going to go by, and you're not going to have another opportunity to get it. Like, oh, I'm going to take that. You ever been shopping and there's a sale? There's only one left. Bang, got it. Snatch it. Don't miss the opportunity, right? The kingdom of God is seized by those who see its value and, and will not let it go by. Unfortunately, men look at Jesus and the message of the gospel and the kingdom, and they're like Walter Donovan, and they say, that's not worth anything. That's scandalous. That is not the truth. And they don't take it. They don't seize it. While others, they hear the gospel of the kingdom, and they go, whoa, I'm not going to let that pass me by. Got it. wow, God loves me that much and there's hope for me in Jesus Christ and I can enter the kingdom of God? Oh, (laughs) not letting that one pass me by. Will you stumble at Christ or will you seize him up, brothers and sisters? Now is the time for you to seize the opportunity and not miss it by misjudging or stumbling, and receive, through faith, salvation from Jesus Christ. Now is the time not to miss the opportunity, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ came into this world to save you a sinner. If he didn't come into the world, you'd perish. If you don't believe in him, you'll perish. Each one of us We've fallen short of God's requirements. We're unrighteous. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're righteous. Now you can think about that and say, well, if i got to enter the kingdom of God then I better start working on it. I better start making myself righteous by not by stopping my sins and improving myself. Brothers and sisters, you need to learn that the reason why you sin is because you really don't have a heart for God. You really don't want to obey the commandments. You're really not willing to obey the commandments. And that's why we're guilty. That's why we deserve hell. That's why we don't deserve to go to the kingdom of God. Most people think, well, I don't keep the commandments, but at least I'm willing. Not true. The reason you don't keep it is because you are unwilling. And most people think, well, because I'm willing, I'm going to make it. I might not be perfect, but God knows I'm willing, so I'm going to make it. If that's true, Jesus did not need to come and die for you. But the Bible declares... And Christ himself declared he came into the world for the unrighteous. Those people like me and you who aren't good, who don't deserve it. And he came because he loves us. He died on the cross because he loves you. And he does not want you to perish. He died for your sins. He took the penalty that we deserve and that many people will receive because they miss Christ. And he says, believe. Believe. Don't misjudge. Don't think you know better. Understand that you're a sinner and that I'm everything that you need. Come to me. Eat of my flesh. Drink of my blood. And you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus came to die and he's coming again in glory. And one day, the whole world will be filled with his glory. But at this time is the time for you to seize Christ, to believe in him, to press in by faith and be saved. So what have you done with Jesus? The preaching of the cross is to those who perish, foolishness, a stumbling block. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we've missed many opportunities in our lives, but this is one opportunity we do not want to miss. This is too serious. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know that they have eternal life and that does not have the peace that they are in the kingdom, they do not have peace with you, Lord, and I pray that they would hear this morning that peace comes through the gift of your grace and through simple faith in Jesus Christ that it's not about working for your salvation but it's about receiving what you have done for sinners. Lord I pray that this would be so clear this morning in everyone's mind and heart and that no one would miss it by misjudging by thinking it's not true by stumbling at a scandal I just pray Lord that everyone would see here today just how beautiful The gospel is, how holy your law is, and righteous your requirements, and that there's no way for us to be saved apart from your grace. Make this so clear, Lord. Thank you for coming and dying for us, and thank you that you're coming again to change the status quo. We praise you and thank you, and glorify you today in Jesus' name, amen.